begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, there are times when your holy word seems to contradict itself and our evil foe, the devil, is more than happy to use sinful men to exploit such apparent contradictions with the goal of causing us to lose our faith. Therefore, we ask you to bless the words of today's sermon so that we may put on your full armor and use the sword of your word to fend off all such attacks while growing strong in the knowledge of your grace, love, forgiveness, and salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. Some Pharisees came to him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In the house, his disciples asked him about this again. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Some people began bringing little children to Jesus so that he would touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I tell you, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the little children in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you go to the internet or turn on YouTube, there are people who actually make a living by pointing out what they think are contradictions or paradoxes in scriptures. And they're very polemic about it. You can find ones on slavery because before the Civil War, those who were for slavery, uh, they pulled passages out of the Bible to defend their slavery, their awful actions now, that's not what the Bible says, and we'll get into that a little bit at the end. Or take the environment. People will say that the Bible made man the crown of his creation. God did, and, and so, uh, therefore, uh, the Bible allows people just to rape and pillage and not take care of the earth. Well, you can often take and, and, and use a passage of Scripture against itself, and that's what happens in today's text. We're told the Pharisees approached Jesus, and they were asking him, is it permitted for a man to divorce his wife? Because they were testing him. Now, the word used for testing here is the word where you know you've got gold, but you don't know how many carrots. So they know that Jesus knows something, but they're trying to figure out a way in which they can trip him up. And, and they know they're trying to be clever here. The, 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 the paradox is if he says, yep, you can divorce, then they'll turn around and say, well, the Bible says that uh, you shouldn't. But if he says... Nope, you can never divorce. Then they'll say, but there's a passage of the Bible that says you should. And so we're going to use their question pertaining to marriage to answer a bigger question today. What should you do when someone asks a question that uses the Bible against itself? Jesus answered them by asking, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Notice what Jesus does here. He asks them a question that sends them looking into what the Bible says. And the passage they're talking about is Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, which says, 
When a man takes a woman and marries her, if she's not pleasing to him because he's found something indecent about her, and he writes her a divorce document and hands it to her and sends her out of his house. Now, there were rabbis that argued that if she burnt breakfast, that was good enough, he could divorce her. But the passage said indecent about her, and the Hebrew words that are used are yara'oth dabar. Literally translated, that's a matter of nakedness. Now, it's not just he woke up and, and didn't like the way she looked and thought she needed to go on a diet. This is a matter where her private parts are exposed in a shameful way. She's done something shameful like adultery. So when we just simply look at the Bible passage and, and even translate it into English, indecent about her, what it's saying is she has violated the marriage oath in a shameful way. So the first thing we want to do when someone asks a question that uses the Bible against itself is find out what the Bible really says. You'd be surprised even on the Internet how often they are misquoting and pulling those Bible passages out of their context, which is the next thing we want to do. So Jesus said to them, Moses wrote this very decree for you guys in view of you guys' stubborn heart. See, there's a context here, and Jesus explains that context. This was written because of sin. Sin gives us a stubbornness. In fact, if we read the whole entire passage, Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, we're told, When a man takes a woman and marries her, if she's not pleasing to him, because he's found something indecent about her, and he writes her a divorce document and hands it to her and sends her out of his house, and she leaves and moves on and becomes the wife of another man, and then the second man hates her and writes her a divorce document and hands it to her and sends her out of his house, or perhaps the second man that took her, wife has, took her as a wife has died, in these circumstances, her first husband who sent her away cannot take her again as his wife after she was stigmatized as impure because that would be detestable to the Lord. You must not attach guilt to the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And there again, we confirm up this is having to do with her having committed a sin. And we would say vice versa as well if the man does this to the woman. The whole entire point is about purity and impurity. In other words, sin. So when Moses permits a divorce, it's because of sin. It's because one spouse has cheated on the other, or as we find out in other passages of the Bible, because one has maliciously abandoned the other. What a malicious abandonment looks like is hard to define, but you can see it when people choose drugs over their marriage, when people are physically abusing a spouse, these kinds of things. So we find out what the Bible says, and part of that is find the context don't just pull a Bible out of its context. Read the whole thing. Jesus does more, we're told. Yet from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and he will be joined to his wife. And so the two will be one flesh, with the result that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has bound securely together, continually do not let man separate. Jesus quotes what is our first lesson for this Sunday, which is in Genesis when God creates Eve, the last thing God creates on the last day of creation, on the sixth day, and presents her to Adam. Adam prophesies this led by the Holy Spirit. The big thing here is looking at the context. When God, uh, when God brought Adam and Eve together, basically performed their marriage by presenting them to each other, there was no sin in the world. 
Now, again, I, I want to add here, sexual intimacy was part of the two becoming one. There are people who say uh, the Bible only allows sexual intimacy in, in when it's for procreation for children. That's an outright lie. That's another time when they pit the Bible against itself. So before the fall into sin, there was no need for divorce. And again, in a husband and wife, sexual intimacy was a blessing. So... God had joined the two together. They were separate and they were one. They didn't have parents yet, but Adam even prophesied that the two will become one. This is a reminder for parents. Cut the apron strings. I have done a lot of counseling where it becomes apparent that parents didn't know how to cut the apron strings. Now, that doesn't mean that the children abandon their parents, but they start their own unit. Mr. Smith and Miss Jane become the does, right? They become their own family, their own unit. Now, that again, that doesn't mean they completely ignore their family, but their family has to respect that now that's my daughter, but that's that unit. That's the Doe family or whatever. And the point here is even before the fall into sin, we are not to cleave, to separate what God has united. It's only because of sin that this separation even would take place. Some examples in which we also, uh, as a side note, try to separate what God has united is the family. When couples get divorces, don't kid yourself, it does a tremendous damage to the children. Well, we were arguing a lot over money. Then get counseling. Now, there are times adultery and malicious abandonment make it necessary. And the one time I, and the one time I have especially uh, advised people to get a divorce is when uh, the spouse is beating them. Your life's in jeopardy. Get away. But another thing we do where we separate what God has united is his word. As we're seeing in our text, there is a whole unity to his word. And when people start chopping it up and pitting against itself or claiming this part's inspired or it's not, they're already destroying what God has united. So what should we do when someone asks a question that uses the Bible against itself? Find out what the Bible says. Find the context of what the Bible says and then find out what the Bible says on the whole subject. Take the whole big picture in. Don't just look at one tree. We're then told, and then inside the house, the disciples were asking him about this again. And so Jesus says to them, whoever sends his wife away and then marries another, he keeps on being made an adulterer against her. And if a wife sends her husband away and marries another, another man, then she keeps on being made an adulterer. Notice how I translate that in the passive for both the, the male or the female, made an adulterer. They're the ones who have ruined the marriage and then they're joining to somebody else and their action continually makes them an adulterer. What did the disciples do? They asked for further clarification. If you have a problem and you're still looking at the whole picture and everything are confused, go find somebody who reads the Bible in its original languages, who has been trained, who spends their time in the Bible and ask for further clarification. Now, we want to make sure that person is giving clarification based on God's word on the whole picture, looking at the individual trees and the forest and not just giving their opinion. So ask for further clarification. Now, if you're one of those people who you got a divorce and then you remarried and everything and you're sitting there saying, wow, I am being made an adulterer every day. What do you do? I remember years ago talking to a professor who's now in, in heaven about a relative of mine who seemed to go through uh, a lot of husbands. And I remember in the cut, well, what about this? What about that? What, and I'm looking for all these laws and everything else. And the professor finally cut me off and he said, Fred, 
Sin makes a mess of things. And sometimes all you can do to clean it up is pour the blood of Christ upon it. So in all of this, Scripture lots of times, it records the problems that people had when they fell into sin or when they weren't the wisest in things like marriage and stuff. So recognize sin makes a mess of things and turn to the Word of God where you can hear about forgiveness. Now, since we're talking about when the Bible seems to contradict itself, we also have to recognize there are two very big contradictions in Scripture. The one is the law. The law tells you what holiness is. And so the law tells you every time you break it, you're a sinner, you're damned to hell, period, end of discussion. The law will never empower you not to sin. And if people think, I'll just do more good, that's not what the law says. The law doesn't say make good, do more good to make up for the bad. The law says the minute you do any bad, you're unholy, you're damned to hell. The gospel says you're saved. Those are two completely different messages, and they are completely opposed. The gospel says you're God's child. He's adopted you. They only make sense in Christ, where true God became human being, a man for you and I, so that he could live perfectly in our place, never once doing something unholy, never once breaking the law. And then he, as true God, his death would be precious enough to cover for all of our sins. As man, he would be able to die. He would be our substitute. And so the law and gospel, the gospel is the good news that God became a man, he saved you. Then he sent the Holy Spirit into your heart so that you would believe and forgiveness is yours and you're saved. The law and the gospel contradict and oppose each other. Only the cross of Christ can resolve that contradiction. We're told, and then they were bringing children to Jesus so that he would touch them. Yet the disciples reprimanded them. You know, Jesus is inside the house. He's had to do this work with the Pharisees and everything. His days were always very busy. And the disciples probably thought, oh, for Pete's sakes, you don't need to have him just say a blessing over your children. These are Jewish children who already have the word and already believe. So we don't want to, make, we don't want to mistakenly think that, they, that they're bringing their children to be brought to faith. Verse 14, however, Jesus saw this, became indignant, and he said to them, Allow the children to come to me and do not continue hindering them, for the kingdom of God continues being of such as these. The kingdom of God is made up of those who have the characteristic of children. We're going to get into that in a minute. Truly, I'm telling you guys, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he embraced them and was blessing them while placing his hands upon them. So this would be a spiritual blessing, grow in the knowledge of the Lord kind of a thing like I do at the end of the sermon. What is it to have that kingdom that consists of a childlike faith? And what is it that hinders it? Whoever humbles himself like a child. Children, no, I can't defend myself. Daddy. And so we call to God. In fact, Matthew 18 verse 4 points to that. Whoever humbles himself like this child. But the biggest thing is the unquestioning heart of childlike. And naivety isn't the word to say. But when I was a child, I sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. And that was it. I knew Jesus loved me because the song had told me so. As an adult, I, I admire people with that childlike trust. I remember years and years ago taking a couple through the Bible information class. And when we got to the Trinity, I had been an engineering student. And boy, that Trinity, it defies science. It defies good math. You know, God is three uh, persons, but only one God. And, and they're not like God putting on different masks and stuff. And so I explain, I take them through a very basic understanding of Sabellianism and modalism and, and, and a bunch of other things. And, and he turned around and he said, 
I don't see what the big deal is. The Bible clearly uh, represents them as one God and makes it clear that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in a very Christian way, I say, wow, Lord, I wish I had a faith like that because I have to sit down and struggle and find out everything the scripture has to say and then finally say, okay, this is as much as I can understand and God has hidden the rest from me. So sometimes, sadly, people think things like uh, children are at an age where they don't sin and like Psalm 51, for example, or John 3 makes it very clear that, that they need a savior. So uh, that's wrong. And then they keep their children from coming to baptism, for example. They're actually hindering them and sinning and this text will be used against them. And I hear parents say things like, well, I think it's really up to my child to decide and they don't bring their children to church. They're only fooling themselves. They've already decided for their child to keep them away from God. And so they're actually being a hindrance. But it really is the kingdom of God is made up of those who say, God, you say you've forgiven me. The devil whispers every day in my ear, but I will cling to your word and trust in your promises. So trust what God's word has to say. So what are we to do when someone asks a question that uses the Bible against itself? Find out what the Bible really says. Find the context of what the Bible says. Find out what the Bible says on the whole subject. Ask for further clarification. Know that sin makes things, uh, sin makes a mess of things, so turn to the word for forgiveness. And the law and gospel contradict and oppose each other. Only the cross of Christ can resolve such conflicts. Therefore, trust what God's word has to say. Now, before I conclude this sermon, I began this talking about slavery. So what about those YouTube videos and stuff? Those people who quoted it in, in, for their, to uh, defend their cruel practice of slavery in America were dead wrong. The Old Testament, the idea of slavery was actually a welfare system. If you were broke, you could sell yourself. And the person you sold yourself to wasn't just anybody. It was a near relative like your cousin or maybe even a brother. In the year of Jubilee, freed you. And there were laws that they couldn't abuse you. In the New Testament, yes, Paul sends Philemon, the runaway slave, back to Onesimus. But he tells Onesimus to receive him as a brother in Christ. And even uh, dares to ask that he forgive him as a favor. To, I mean, that he for, uh, release him, free him as a favor to Paul. The New Testament recognized that was very common in the Roman Empire. And, and it gave slaves advice and even said, if you have the opportunity to buy your freedom, do so. Nothing in the world has done more to hinder and destroy the institution of slavery than the Bible. So when people use those like in the Civil War, they weren't listening to the whole Bible and they were pulling Bible passages out of their context. What about the environment? Yes, man is the crown of creation. And before Adam and Eve fell into sin, God told them to work the earth. We've fallen into sin. The world now also is cursed against us. So we get colds and have viruses and things like that. So we want to be good stewards. We want to be careful that, for example, if somebody wants to chop down a giant sequoia and we feel that's wrong, that we don't say you're going to have to saw me in half first because then we're making that sequoia our God in our life. But on the other hand, yes, we want to be good stewards. We want to be gardeners of the home God made for us. And so when people use it to claim that the Bible allows to destroy the environment, they are completely ignoring what scripture has to say. So find out what the Bible really has to say. Find the context of what the Bible says. Find what the Bible says on the whole subject. Ask for further clarification. Sin makes a mess of things. Turn to the word of God and hear about forgiveness. Know that the law and gospel contradict and oppose each other. Only the cross of Christ can resolve such conflicts. So trust what God's word has to say. Amen.
Now may the God of hope fill you with complete peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.